Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon. This is Patrick D. McCoy, the African American voice in classical music, and I welcome you to this afternoon's show. We're so delighted to have a visionary, a leader in the arts with us today, and I'm so glad that you all are here to join us for this very special episode. Aaron Dworkin, president and founder of the Detroit-based Sphinx Organization, has come today to discuss his recent appointment to the National Council on Arts. He was confirmed on last Tuesday by the Senate and will serve a six-year term. Dworkin was nominated for the post last year by President Barack Obama. Dworkin started the Sphinx Organization to provide opportunities for black and Latino string players in addition to advocating for the arts. The Sphinx Organization is known for its annual string competition, which showcases some of the nation's most exceptional minority string players. Beginning with a very small budget, the organization is certainly a success story. Dworkin is a graduate of the University of Michigan. Please welcome social entrepreneur, author, visual and performance artist, and MacArthur fellow, Aaron Dworkin. Good afternoon, sir. Hi, Patrick. It's great to be here. Thank you so much for joining us today. So, so Mr. Dorka, so what was your initial reaction of the news of being nominated by President Barack Obama to the National Council on Arts? Well, I think first, actually, I was uh, I was in disbelief. Uh, I needed to double check uh, the people who were calling me to make sure it wasn't someone uh, playing a joke. Um, but uh, needless to say, I was I was deeply, deeply honored and uh, and very surprised. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, you know, very committed to the work that we do, um, but to 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 be aware that that there was knowledge uh, and uh, and support and awareness of the work that we were doing, literally at the highest level, uh, was just uh, was was of course uh, very rewarding, uh, and just uh, you know made me feel more driven to to make sure that we can uh, we can accomplish the work that we do every day. That is so great. Now, I must be honest, I've known so much about the Sphinx organization over the years, but I must say my radar wasn't too sharp just a few minutes, a few days ago, actually. Um, one of my fraternity brothers, his name is his name is Gary Whitley. He's from Detroit, and he sent me this article. He said, have you seen this? And I read it. I said, no, I actually didn't see that. And then he said, oh, I know something that you didn't know. So he actually put me on to the fact that you had got this big appointment. And so then I got an email from a colleague, Wayne Brown, who's at the National Endowment of Arts. He's the director of opera there. And then he sent me an email and said, by the way, you should look at this. So I'm so glad that these two gentlemen have brought this to my attention. Now, I want to talk about Sphinx. You founded Sphinx in 1996. Um, You had a vision for that. Um, what led you to form the organization? Well, you know, I, uh, I'm a violinist, uh, played since I was five, and, uh, and while I'm biracial, uh, uh, the, you know, the world sees me as, uh, as African-American. Uh, and so growing up, I was always either the only minority or one of less than a handful, uh, initially in New York and um, uh, and then when I was 10 years old, moved to Hershey, Pennsylvania, and uh, went to Peabody Prep, and then the Interlochen Arts Academy for the last two years of high school, and initially Penn State, and then the University of Michigan. And, you know, in all of those circumstances, I was either the only or one of less than a handful uh, of, of black or Latino musicians. And as I was at the University of Michigan, and, 
you know, thinking about and reflecting on those experiences as well as going to concert halls and, you know, looking uh, not only on stage but around the audience and seeing very little diversity. Uh, it really just kept, you know, uh, eating this question on me as to why is that the case? Uh, you know, classical music has played such a pivotal role in my life since you know, before I could read. And, uh, and, and it just didn't make any sense to me that uh, the community, uh, you know, which reflects my culture, uh, was, was not involved uh, and, uh, and not uh, um, embraced by or embracing of this amazing art form. And so that led to this idea of what if there was a competition for young uh, musicians like me where we could come together, play music by composers of color, uh, build a peer group, and uh, gain resources to be able to build professional careers. Wow. And that that is certainly a, a point that both classical instrumentalists and vocalists both face in this, this genre in terms of support. So, in terms of the support of it, so once you got it off the ground, I know I read uh, in the whole bio that you started this with a very small budget. How small was it? Yes, uh, it was very small. Uh, initially, with the actual idea, there were zero resources. Um, but, you know, there's, uh, you know, I think most uh, social entrepreneurial, uh, you know, projects, uh, you know, spark, uh, you know, out of the experiences that someone has that, that really kind of drive a, a passion that they feel to, to make, uh, you know, at least a small difference uh, in the world. And, uh, and so then the inaugural year, uh, we actually uh, had uh, a budget of uh, just under $80,000. Uh, and uh, and it was it was very interesting because uh, you know I first went into literally my private lesson with my uh, teacher Stephen Ships, uh, and I said uh, you know I've got this idea. I thought he was going to be mad at me because I didn't practice, and uh, and I said you know I've got this idea. I really care about it, uh, and he thought that it was important enough to bring to the dean uh, at that time, Dean Boylan, Dean uh, Paul Boylan at the University of Michigan School of Music. Uh, and we went and sat down with the dean, and I said, uh, you know, uh, I really feel like I need to do this. I shared an outline, and I said, uh, you know, I can do all of this for uh, $20,000. <laughs> and uh, and he kind of laughed and said, uh, you know, good luck with that. Um, but uh, but he said, you know, this certainly is a good idea, and, and you know, if there are resources that the university can provide to, to help, uh, you know, get, uh, get you off the ground, uh, you know, we'd like to do that. And uh, and that uh, was kind of you know the initial spark and things built from there. Mm, isn't it wonderful when someone has faith in you? That is absolutely wonderful. Now, when I was on your website, I'll be honest, I was looking at all of your scholarly works, your performance works, your 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 use of visual art and music together. How in the world do you balance? your artistic projects and your administrative duties? What keeps you centered and focused? <laughs> That's a great question. Uh, and uh, I guess a lot of people, uh, you know, think I'm a workaholic. But uh, from my perspective, uh, I'm actually the opposite uh, because I just I feel like I never work. Um, I literally get up every morning and do what I love. Um, and uh, while my Sphinx work is my core focus, my priority, uh, you're right, I, whether it's my writing or the, the music where I uh, score uh, poetry with classical music, uh, various other things that I do, um, that creative outlet is critically important. 
Um, and uh, and in terms of of a balance, it's interesting because I kind of don't approach it and say, okay, you know, I'll spend you know ten hours working on Sphinx and then two hours working on my my projects today. Um, it's more of uh, basically my life is just kind of surrounded uh, in the work that I do. Um, so I think the best way to kind of describe it is that my weekends are really no different than my weekdays. Um, I'm uh, you know I. Uh, I kind of uh, integrate both my creative work uh, and my Sphinx work, which of course is is very creative work as well, uh, into my life. And uh, and I really don't have kind of that sense of, oh, I'm done with work now, I do something else. I just kind of have the sense that I'm always engaged in things that that I feel enrich uh, my spirit uh, and my life and that hopefully make a, a positive difference in the world. Hmm. Now, in the beginning of the conversation, one of the first things you offered, you offered up the fact that you you were biracial. So that brings me to one of your books that I saw on your your page. They said I wasn't really black. Could you maybe talk a little bit about that work? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so uh, you know, most of those poems are, are autobiographical uh, and actually incorporated in the you know the memoir that uh, that will be coming out soon, uh, Uncommon Rhythm. Uh, and, you know, when I was in school, uh, it was amazing because the kids would say, well, you're not really black. Um, and they weren't even intending to be hurtful when they would say that. And often it was, uh, as they say in the poem, if only it wasn't my friends around when they said I wasn't really black. Um, there, uh, there was a sense that, well, because I didn't fit the stereotype that they had really only been exposed to in the media, um, that, uh, you know, because I talked a certain way, because I played the violin, uh, you know, uh, because, you know, I got good grades, I, I must not really, I'm not really black because, you know, what they saw, you know, this caricature portrayed in the media is what they expected black to be. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, I think while uh, those stereotypes have lessened uh, since, uh, you know, the 1980s, uh, it uh, it still is there, and uh, and there still are expectations often that I think people have of cultures and those from from you know different racial and cultural backgrounds from themselves, and uh, and of course as we all know, uh, those rarely uh, bear out to be true. Well, you know, I certainly want to thank you on behalf of all. Um, African American uh, classical musicians or uh, classical musicians in general of African descent uh, for you taking a stance, you know, on that that subject. I mean, that really speaks to a lot of us who pursue this this craft. So definitely, thank you for that. Oh, thank you, thank you. Yes, indeed. Now, you you just uh, mentioned your memoir, which is coming out in October. What what is the whole gist of what can we look to, to expect in that work? Yeah, that literally uh, tracks uh, my entire life. Uh, it starts with the, the day of my birth, uh, of all days, September 11th, uh, 1970, mm. uh, and, uh, and tracks through, uh, you know, really a very unique set of circumstances that led me to be adopted at the age of two weeks, uh, to be adopted by a white Jewish couple from Chicago who were educators who had a birth son, my older brother, uh, who's three years older than I am, uh, 
uh, and uh, and then tracking through my exposure to the violin, developing on the violin, uh, the significant hardships I had in school. I'm very very honest and direct about uh, you know the troubles in the rebellion period, uh, and then uh, you know ultimately uh, being able to. Uh, uh, you know, uh, get an incredibly uh, high-quality education and uh, and founding Sphinx and uh, the challenges that that presented uh, being a social entrepreneur uh, and, and really the pragmatic realities of how you can build a social enterprise uh, that can impact the world. Uh, and then ultimately to uh, being reunited with my birth family, my birth mother, who is white Irish Catholic, my birth father, who is black Jehovah's Witness, uh, and my full sister, who they had years after they got back together, uh, after I was adopted, and um, and and a whole host of uh, unique life experiences in between. So uh, I think it's uh, it's going to be at the very least an interesting read, uh, hopefully inspiring to young people, uh, and also in some ways a guide uh, to how to uh, develop uh, an enterprise that surrounds a passion that you have in life. Who said the life of a musician, let alone a classical musician, could be boring? So I know that I want to try to get that memoir. Where can we look to to see that uh, in stores? Yeah, uh, that will be uh, in October. It will be coming out through Aquarius Press. Uh, and, uh, you know, we'll be in uh, in stores, I guess, unfortunately, uh, not Borders. Uh, I'm not sure if they'll still be open at the time. Uh, but also online, of course, and uh, and through Aquarius Press, uh, you'll always be able to, to keep tabs on, uh, you know, even advanced copies. Well, I'm looking forward to that because that sounds like a fascinating read indeed. Now, tell me about, you had mentioned um, Sphinx and, and the role of Sphinx in, in training our, our young instrumentalists. Could you maybe talk about the Sphinx Virtuosity concert that's coming up at Carnegie? Absolutely. Um, so our Sphinx Virtuosi uh, are one of our ensembles we are most proud of. This is the chamber orchestra comprised solely of Sphinx competition alumni. So these are the top uh, young musicians from around the country. Uh, they come together and tour uh, across the country. And as part of that tour, uh, we have our annual concert series at Carnegie Hall. Uh, they have been uh, received rave reviews for the past six years in the New York Times. Uh, it is a very dynamic concert. Uh, sells out uh, every year, so I encourage people to definitely go on Sphinx's website uh, to uh, to get tickets or Carnegie Hall's website. Uh, it will take place on October 12th, uh, and it is an early concert at 6 p.m. And our Sphinx virtuosi are led by the Catalyst Quartet, which is uh, one of the quartets that we founded uh, at Sphinx uh, that are just doing residencies around the country, a tremendous group, and they lead the virtuosi. Uh, and they'll also do some performing uh, of themselves. They'll also be performing with members of the Guarneri Quartet. Uh, and then one of our uh, top laureates, uh, Randall Goosby, will, uh, and Gabriel Cabezas will also do some solo work on the concert. Uh, so not only do you uh, and would you be exposed to a unique collection of incredibly talented musicians who are playing at the highest level, but also a wide range of repertoire. Uh, I think it's probably pretty rare that someone goes to a concert and is you know, able to hear uh, Tchaikovsky and Bartok, uh, uh, but also be able to hear uh, Hinastera, 
uh, Goliov and uh, um, uh, Coleridge Taylor Perkinson, uh, African-American composer. Uh, so to be able to go and experience this kind of wide breadth of repertoire uh, and of musicianship, I think, is is truly unique experience that I encourage uh, everyone to, to try to attend. Definitely. I'm going to mark my calendars, and, and hopefully I can put something out in the press about that as well. That sounds wonderful. We have a caller on the air. Do you have a moment to take a call? Sure. Okay. We have a caller from area code 419. Good afternoon. Caller from area code 419. You're on the air. Good afternoon, caller. You're on the air. Uh, yes. Hello? Yes, good afternoon. This is Patrick B. McCoy, the African American voice and classical music with Mr. Aaron Dwork. Do you have a question? Um, yes, I do. Um, what did you find were um, the biggest challenges as you were um, uh, forming all of this, um, the organizations of Sphinx? Well, that's a great question. Uh, and, uh, you know, there's a, there's a host of challenges. Um, of course, you know, uh, certainly first and foremost, and, and many people will tell you this as they're developing an organization, fundraising is always tough because the reality is if you don't have resources, it's very, very tough to do work. Um, but that kind of comes with the territory and there are ways to, you know, to approach that. And I would say one of the best ways as you're first starting out is to try to see what partnerships you can develop. Uh, it's always easier to reach out to a partner who could potentially share their resources in an in-kind way with you than it often is to be able to get people to give you a direct monetary grant. Um, so if there is something that a uh, project you're trying to do and you need facilities, is there a local college or university or um, other place that has facilities where it wouldn't be a major thing for them to be able to share it? That way you don't have to raise the funds to formally rent um, facilities. Uh, so that type of approach always helps. Um, the other thing I would say is that there were a number of people uh, who shared with me that they felt what I could do was really not possible uh, and that perhaps I should, you know, just do what's usual, you know, keep practicing, join an orchestra, you know, follow the normal path. Uh, and uh, first of all, it's not really my personality <laughs> uh, to do that, um, but I think being able to be fully committed and dedicated uh, to the work it is that you want to do uh, is very important, and to always listen to feedback and listen to what others have to say, because there may be a value in helping you down the path that you're uh, going down, but uh, to not let them deter you from trying. That's awesome. Thank you very much. Great question, no Thank you so much for calling. Wow, that was a great question there. Certainly great. Now, when you're not doing Sphinx, you're not, you know, uh, priming the students for competitions, what do you do in your spare time to relax? <laughs> well, actually, believe it or not, and I know people just don't believe me when I say this, my my work, my Sphinx work, my other creative work is relaxing. Uh, in other words, I, uh, it's just, you know, I'm not uh, the kind of person who could just, uh, you know, uh, Sit on a beach, you know. I'd be I'd be far happier if I'm if I was sitting on the beach if I had my laptop and could be uh, doing some sphinx work or maybe writing some poetry or uh, or doing something along those lines. 
Um, but, uh, but I do, uh, I, I guess I would say I'm certainly a foodie. Uh, I love, uh, love exploring different restaurants and different cuisines, uh, very much so. Uh, I'm kind of a little probably over-obsessed with, uh, with uh, Thai food and Indian food, um, mm. Ethiopian, Italian. It's pretty wide, uh, wide collection. Um, and, uh, and I'm also a, a movie buff and so love kind of a wide range of, uh, of films. Uh, so those are certainly uh, a couple of things, and uh, and of course most importantly, uh, you know, just sharing all of my life experiences, work uh, as well as uh, kind of quote unquote non-work uh, things uh, with my family. Wow, isn't this craft of classical music a unique one? Even when you're doing it, it could be work, but it's also a joy at the same time. So we have a lot in common because if I'm not out re- reviewing a concert or writing, I feel like I'm lost. So that's that's a great observation there. Just in closing, I, I do want to thank you so much for sharing of your time and, and your gifts with us today. Is there anything, baby, in closing that you can impart as far as maybe a young person who's pursuing a career in classical music or the arts? Absolutely. I would say that no matter what, you should pursue your dreams. Um, uh, it may take incredibly hard work. Um, but literally anything is possible in life. Uh, and it's just a matter of, uh, you know, assessing what it is that you want to do, uh, finding that passion, that true aspect of your life, whether it's your primary instrument or whether it's doing something related to your primary instrument that truly gives you joy. Uh, and then you can literally build a life around that passion. Uh, and I think if you're able to do that, um, you not only will lead a happy life yourself, um, but you'll find that you have a wonderful impact on, on those around you. Aaron Dworkin, thank you so much for joining me today, and I want to share with the listeners the fact that to, if they want to learn more about the Sphinx organization, they can visit sphinxmusic.org, and then you also can visit Aaron's personal website, which is www.aaron. Dworkin, A-A-R-O-N-D-W-O-R-K-I-N.com. And that's where you can find out all about his publications, CDs, and the like. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. This was great. And I, thank you so much. I hope you have a great afternoon. Take care. Thanks. Again, listeners, that was Aaron Dworkin, the president and founder of the Sphinx Organization, and also the newest member of the National Council of Arts, upon which he was nominated by President Barack Obama. Again, this is Patrick B. McCoy, the African-American voice in classical music, and I want to thank you today for joining me for this very special interview. Please join me on Wednesday at 12 noon as I interview the royal tenor. I like to say that affectionately. We're joined by operatic tenor Kenneth Tarver, who's going to be speaking to us live from Europe. If you recall, Kenneth just sang at the royal wedding of the prince and princess of Monaco. He was featured soloist in Mozart's Coronation Mass, among other works. So please catch the third installment of the I Too Sing America series with tenor of Tarver. Also, as I mentioned on my last show, I wanted to inform you that I am available to visit you and your institutions across this country as I embark on the African American Voice in Classical Music Tour. 
uh, visiting colleges and universities, sharing the joy of class community. If you're interested in my appearance at your institution or university, please email me at the African American Voice at gmail.com and just express your interest there. Also, be sure to like the show page and also follow me on Facebook at Patrick B. McCoy, the African American Voice in Classical Music. I'm also on Twitter at Patrick D. McCoy. Again, this is Patrick B. McCoy, the African American Voice in Classical Music. I want to thank you for joining me this afternoon and certainly to our guest, Mr. Aaron Dworkin. Thank you all and have a great day.